Good morning, Springs Community Church, in person and online. That's right. There's a youth pastor there. This is a sermon for everybody. Not all of you are going to hear it, but that's your fault. This is a sermon for everybody. Today we're going to talk about leadership and the person, Stephen, sometimes called Stephen the Martyr. But first, we're going to listen to a song. Nathan, you ready? We're going to practice. song before? A couple of us, the young folk maybe, who are hip to the YouTubes. Nice. Video's super cool. What would you say if I told you that was all one musician? Wow. Let's listen to a clip of it again. <laughs> I'm putting them through the work. This is on me. It's coming up, coming up. You hear that noise? It's a crank. What you're listening to is a machine called the marble machine. And that's a xylophone. There's little metal balls that are... And then he pulls down a lever and the snare hits as a marble drops on the snare. And then as you listen, you'll hear the bass drum kick in, some cymbals. And eventually a bass starts playing, which is dropping marbles on each of those strings. And he actually is moving his hand around on the fret while he cranks to keep the tempo going. One man playing all these things, that's good. With a machine called the Marble Machine. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. That's way cooler than uh, anything that we did this morning. Although I think we did okay. Yeah. I want to introduce you to a man named Martin. We'll have to use our imaginations. I didn't want to put any pictures of him up because he's got dark, bags under his eyes, and I didn't want him to feel self-conscious. Martin is the man who built the marble machine. He's Swedish, but he lives in France, and he works largely alone. What you listen to is version one, but he's in the process of building for his band, Wintergarten, or Wintergarden. What's up? That's version one. He's in the process of building Marble Machine X. He's not an engineer. He's making it up as he goes, a component with, or a, a piece of engineering with more components than a typical vehicle. He's designing and building pretty much by himself in his garage in order that he can go with his band, Wintergarten, on a world tour with a machine that won't break down. 
that includes something like 5,000 marbles and 10,000 plus components, all itty bitty tiny moving around. Sound fun? Sounds hard. Sounds really hard. Martin set out to do this project, and really just a couple months ago, he's still in the process of doing it, if you want to keep track of him, I probably should do diligence, Vintergarten Wednesdays, watch it on YouTube, they're great. Just a couple months ago, he shared that he almost gave up on the project completely. The issue that he ran into was uh, a, <clears throat> a component would break, and he'd go to fix it, and as it would break, another one, or as he would fix it, another one would break, and then as he would start designing another part that needed to be put on, he'd assemble it, it'd fall apart. He could not keep up with the constant, constant, constant update problems, issues with the marble machine. And he almost gave up. He'd invested, I don't know, many, many, many thousands of dollars, probably even more hours in this project. And he was on the edge, and he realized the issue was largely himself. Not that he wasn't a terrible engineer, not that he didn't have a great vision, but because he had a vision that was too big for himself to accomplish with all of its component parts. Make sense? So Martin decided, I am just an engineering larva, he said, right? I need to turn into a project manager butterfly. And so he diverted his tasks from designing and crafting and creating the parts and solving the problems to making spreadsheets, which is less fun, if you ask me, and delegating tasks out to other people. And so instead of just little engineering larva Martin, he turned into a beautiful butterfly of a project manager. And Martin for us is an analogy that I hope to come back to as we do this sermon about Stephen, the martyr, and about leadership for each of you. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Let's recap real quick. We're in the series on Acts, and we started with Acts, chapter 1, and we received this vision from the Lord to be filled with His Holy Spirit, to go to the ends of the earth, right? Starting in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria with the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God. It continued, right? The second sermon Pastor Eric preached was about Pentecost, being filled with the power of the Spirit, not just having the presence of the Spirit with us, but the power of the Spirit. And then we continued into this story of um, Peter and John healing a crippled beggar at the outside of the temple. Things were going really well, and if you read at the end of chapter 3, we scoot back a little bit. Uh, sorry, the end of chapter 2. 3,000 plus were baptized. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Pretty awesome. Chapter 3 happens. They run into a little trouble with the Sadducees, but they preach eloquently they get out of it. Chapter 4 happens, which is them continuing to preach. And at the end of chapter 4, what did it say at the end of chapter 2, what we just read? Now read this together with me. This is verse 32 of chapter 4. It's actually going to be up on the screen, I believe. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart 
and sold. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. Same sort of thing, right? Same as chapter 2. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Pretty awesome. Pretty good vision. Better or worse than Martin's vision to travel the world with a marble machine? Even better. Jesus gave this vision in chapter 1 that they would be filled with the Spirit, right? And in chapter 2, they were filled with the Spirit. And what happened? The gospel spread. People shared the kingdom of God on earth. Chapter 3 comes, right? They start doing acts of power in Jerusalem, specifically the temple, even the center of Jerusalem. See the vision of Jesus Christ starting to play out? And what happens? They preach. People believe. They repent. The kingdom of God comes on earth. We're gaining momentum. We're gaining speed. Everybody shares everything they have. None have need. Chapter 5. We skipped over this. We're not going to spend enough time on it as it deserves. Ananias and Sapphira. They try and steal money. Chapter 5 continues. Some of you may have a header in your Bible that says, the apostles heal many. Okay, that's good. And then the one after that might say something like, the apostles are persecuted. Okay, that's worse. And then chapter 6 begins. Now, during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. What happened? What happened? The vision was so good, and it was going so well, and something happened. Now, we'll keep reading. The twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Harmonus, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is great. This is good news again. But what we saw in place is a vision set forth that was big and that was grand. And then it encountered a problem. And specifically, the problem was Hellenist widows not getting their share of food, right? So a Hellenist is basically a Jewish, uh, 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 sorry, a Jewish 
Roman or a Jewish Greek person. It's a Jew, but this person doesn't speak Hebrew. And so when the, uh, the Pharisees especially, who were some of the first to adopt the gospel, started to, to preach and to spread and to live into this kingdom, they did it with other Jews who were mainly Hebrew-speaking. Jerusalem. Step one. But what was the vision? The whole world. And so what happens when your neighbor, a Hellenist, is not getting food? You hit a wall in the vision. And as good as your vision is, as grand as your desire to speak to the whole world, to have a world tour is, as strong as you think you are, an amateur engineer, if you can't fix that little, tiny, broken component, your vision will not succeed. Now, I think a lesser community of people would have been like, okay, there's some people who aren't getting food. We'll send it to the side. Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't devote just a passing phrase to this. He doesn't skip over it. In fact, this story of the man Stephen gets one, two, and into three chapters of this book as if something important is happening. They anoint Stephen and appoint him along with these others to become deacons. We have deacons here um, to oversee the caretaking of the church, just like it's going on. Stephen does this. Not only does he do this, but he, a man full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, the story continues, stirred up trouble, started making false accusations against him, just like they did against Jesus. And he was put on trial. And the longest sermon in Acts happens from a man who had otherwise not been mentioned before from a man who had been appointed to a job as a functionally a waiter. Any waiters here? I was one. Not a very glorious job. And the author of the book of Acts says, this man, Stephen, he was a waiter. Full chapter and a long one. I've got three pages of Stephen's sermon. And he talks, and he talks, and he talks, and he talks, and he speaks the truth, and the truth, and the truth, and they stone him. And he dies. The first martyr. This story is about a lot of things. This story is a story that you could spend a year in, I think, understanding what the church is about, who Stephen is, how to emulate him. But for us, this story is about one specific thing. It's about a vision, the vision that Jesus Christ gave to the church in chapter 1 of Acts and all throughout the Gospels. It's about a vision that hit a block because it lacked leadership. And it's about a church and a people that decided amongst themselves, remember, it said the community chose Stephen. It's about a people who said we will not stand for neglect of any one part we will assign and appoint and be leaders. It's about a vision that hit a block because it lacked leadership, and it is about the distribution of focus among leaders in order to fulfill that greater vision. Let's talk about focal point one. The vision. 
We talked about the Acts vision. We talked about Wintergarten's vision. Martin is his name. I want you to think for yourself, what is your vision? Do you have a life vision? Pastor Eric is really good at this. If you could get in an airplane and fly over your world and see this is where I am and this is where I'm going, what would your destination be? Do you know off the top of your head, do you have that vision? Maybe. It's healthy to focus on vision. It's healthy to focus on outcome. But I want to argue today that point two, focal point number two, is that there are times and there are seasons where it's healthier to focus on shortcomings and on problems. Wintergarten, Martin, had shortcoming after shortcoming, and it's easy to see with him. If he didn't address that little piece of wood that was broken, the whole machine would crumble and fall apart. In Acts, it's kind of easy to see, but it's a little harder. Would the vision of Christ have continued had they not successfully cared for the Hellenist widows? Maybe. I think not. I think that was pivotal. Focusing energy on problems is something you're often told not to do. Don't think about the problems. Don't look at the bad. Think about the good. In fact, there's some scriptural merit to that as well, right? Ponder on what is noble and good and true. But focusing energy on your problems, I want to argue today, is how you show commitment to the greater vision. Anyone who says they want to go to space but refuses to learn how to tighten the loose bolt is not going to make it. Kevin, you want to get in that ship? Anyone who says they're committed to their spouse but refuses to acknowledge that they don't know how to communicate with them, that they're not pulling their weight around the house or with the kids, is not committed to their spouse. They may talk a big talk about marriage and about family. If they're not committed to resolving the issues, there's no vision. Certainly not going to happen. A great vision is nothing without an ability to focus on the little things in front of you that you are called to right now in this moment. Focus point one is the vision. You can't lose focus of the vision. Martin wants to go on a world tour. If he lost sight of that, wouldn't have much motivation. But if Martin can't divert his focus from world tour, world tour, world tour, to a task in front of him, to feeding the needy and the widows, to loving the individual who's before you, you will never go on a world tour. And the gospel will never be preached to the ends of the earth because the vision is of the kingdom of God on earth where nobody has any lack and any need. And so if your neighbor is hungry, the gospel's not there. Not in full. What are you called to? What's the problem you need to focus on? So I said we were preaching on leadership. <clears throat> what is leadership? Well, leadership's a lot of things. We talk about servant leadership. We talk about good leadership. A lot of us learn leadership from sports. Well, leadership, I want to argue again today, is the ability to do the task that you need to do. And in many ways, it's as simple as that. If I'm a 
person who thinks I want to be a leader, I might get confused and tricked and think that leadership is having eyes on me up here. A good leader is someone who 15,000 people look at on their TikTok every week. I don't know. A good leader is somebody who can uh, say lots and lots of words and get lots and lots of reactions. No. A good leader is somebody who knows what is responsible for them to accomplish and who does it. Stephen was a nobody. And Stephen, in the book of Acts, is our model for leadership. Why? Because Stephen saw a need that was little, that nobody would praise him for fulfilling, and he stepped forward and he did it. You know what he's rewarded with? The opportunity to preach. What did the apostles devote themselves to? The word and to prayer. Who immediately gets to preach the word? The one who devoted himself to the little thing in front of him, Stephen. How does the word of God spread? How does the Christ vision in the book of Acts spread? By good leaders, by each of you taking the responsibility of leadership to do what it's responsible for you to do. So, why don't you do it? Remember, the sermon's for everybody. Why don't you do it? I think there's a lot of reasons. I think I won't get to all of them. I think you're going to have to do some soul searching. I don't know what your fears are. I can look at Stephen's story and discern a couple, a couple things that maybe I would hesitate at. I don't want to, you know, condemn myself too hard in front of you. Shame. Do you think when Stephen heard that his job was to wait on tables, it was possible he felt a hit to his pride. Remember back with me, if you, do, if you can, what were the qualifications for this responsibility? Being full of the Spirit, being full of wisdom. And what else did Stephen do? He performed many signs and wonders. If you're a person in this church who's performing miracles, who's full of wisdom in the Spirit, praise the Lord, first off, be that. Also, is there a temptation to think, I deserve a grand stage? Or are you a leader who's willing because the job is just as important? Humble yourself. Shame is a barrier that I feel reading Stephen, who seems to have none. The fear of man. After Stephen starts to do this work, he's confronted, isn't he? Again, it's peculiar. Why was Stephen the one who was confronted? He was waiting on tables. Something about the enemy knows where effective ministry is happening, right? People start accusing him. Any of you here get scared when people start accusing you of losing your friends, of losing your place in the world, maybe of losing your home. Was Stephen a family man? I don't know. Am I willing to risk living the truth if it means that men will hate me and despise me and accuse me and speak blasphemous things about me? Are you? And finally, death. In many ways, that's the root of all of it. 
not death itself, but I think actually death is tied to this thing called insignificance, because we believe somehow still in our heart of hearts that if we die, then we will no longer. And the gospel does the opposite. And death is a grand scale version of this. If I die, then I am no longer. But when we're called to do the responsible thing day to day, little by little, to care for our neighbor, to love our neighbor, for some of us, we feel the same thing. If I divert my attention from all of the grand visions, from all of the great and the wonderful things that I could be doing, then I'm losing my significance. We trick ourselves into thinking that our comfort, that our peace, that our friendship, that our influence, that our reach are of more value, are of, are of more value than, again, good leadership, the task God called you to responsibly. Some of us, as I speak, and I'm delaying on purpose so that you can think, some of us know what we ought to be doing. Some of us don't. Some of us are afraid to ask what we ought to be doing. So I want to ask you, how are you, not generically, how are you supposed to be a leader in your life today? If you know it, do it. If you don't know it, find out and be content. The leader is able to, on the one hand, hold to the highest vision to reach the ends of the earth. And because they're committed to that goal, they're willing to sacrifice whatever it is for even the slightest step towards it. The leader is content. The leader is not satisfied, but the leader is content. I still don't know how to do it, but I want to go to focal point number four. I didn't finish the story. When they heard these things, that is, the Pharisees, the freedmen, the people who are accusing Stephen, this is verse 54 if you want to track along, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. What was Stephen's real focus? What was Stephen's true vision? He devoted himself to the little work of waiting on tables. What was he seeing the whole time? The face of Christ. The focus of our hands imitates the focus of our heart. And I want you to get a vision the vision of Christ. And when I say the vision of Christ, I mean the vision that Christ gave you and the vision of Christ himself. And I want you to be so in love with the Lord whom you see 
to be so committed to him and to that vision fulfilled that everything that you do with your hands, be it small or big, is in the direction of Christ, is to see him in the face of the least of these, all the way to the ends of the earth, and know as you do it that God sees you, and that all the fear of death, all the fear of shame, all the fear of insignificance, that this work doesn't matter, those are lies. The leader knows that the Lord himself is standing at the right hand of the Father, looking down at you, not giving up on you. And how good is it to know that we have a God who doesn't just have a grand vision and discredits the little things that are broken, but that we have a God who has a grand vision and instead gives his entire focus to the little broken things to fix them because the whole picture doesn't work unless every component part is well and is doing its job. That's leadership. And that's Stephen. Springs Community Church has a vision and it has a lot of focuses. It has a lot of means and ministries to do the work towards the vision in little ways. And one of those things is called Kingdom Life Communities, and many of you are a part of one. I encourage all of you who are not to be a part of one, but one of the things that we do regularly is we pray together and we ask the Lord, we say, Lord, I know you're calling me to do something with my hands, to be a responsible leader in my neighborhood. Let me make a commitment to you tonight in the presence of my friends and my family and my fellow believers to some form of leadership. And I want us to do that together right now. So I want the band to come up if we can. We'll start singing a song and giving you just a few minutes. We've only got about six minutes for it. I want you to commit to focus. If you have a pen and a paper, write it down. If you want to come up to the, to the, to the altars, which are really just a wall, and put your face against it and say, Lord, I'm struggling to commit to do the things that I know I need to do. You can come up here and you can put your face against it and he'll see you and he'll respect you. What are you as an individual called to be a leader in, to focus your attention on? And what are the things that are getting in the way that you've tricked yourself into thinking are bigger and better but are really just distractions? And the leader you've called, you've been called to be. Can we do this? Any questions? And then go do it. And then go do it. Father, bless you for giving us examples like Stephen, who modeled his life after yours. Would you build me up in each of us to be like him, who is like you? so that others might be like us and that the world would receive your healing power and the good news of the gospel till the day you come and restore all things. Let us never be satisfied until that day, but let us always be content in the hard and good work that you give us for your glory and for your honor and for ours in the process. In Jesus' name.